Hello, and welcome back to She Inspired, a podcast about sharing the stories of women who are following our inspiration in the hopes of inspiring and guiding other women to do the same. I'm Lorna Morin, and I believe too often we ignore our inner voice, the all-knowing guidance system within each of us who knows the divine purpose for which we are called in this life and who always wants what's best for us. As a result, we can end up in careers or relationships which are unaligned with who we really are and what we really want. This belief is born from my own experience, dismantling the life I spent 20 years creating because I realized the uneasiness I felt in life was the result of not living in alignment professionally, personally, and spiritually. For me, this meant walking away from a 15-year career in the public service to launch an online business and leaving an 18-year relationship to live as a single woman and co-parent to three lovely kids. I believe my intended purpose is to use my powers of connection to light the spark, to share the stories of women seeking and finding alignment in service to the awakening of all women. That is what She Inspired is all about. If Kim Adele Platz were to write her memoirs, the title would be Three Divorces and a Stalker. The journey from hairdresser to CEO can be bumpy. When she says she's had a, quote, colorful life apprenticeship, she isn't kidding. Her life experiences have been nothing short of incredible. Through her journey, transitioning from the hair salon to the boardroom, she's become an expert at unearthing, examining, and flipping limiting beliefs. Case in point, she's had a Mensa certificate sitting in a box for most of her adult life because, as she puts it, it didn't align with her story of who she believed herself to be. I'm pleased to report that certificate is now framed and hanging on Kim Adele's wall. But the point is, Kim Adele knows imposter syndrome like the back of her hand. And she also knows how to use kindness, compassion, and visualization to release it and to thrive. It's no surprise then, she's found her calling as a legacy leadership coach, working with C-suite and board leaders to lead with kindness, courage, and humanity. Kim Adele talks openly and gracefully about her colorful life, including both the experiences which brought her to her knees and those which have lifted her back up on her feet. I love how she describes life as a jigsaw puzzle without the box. You don't get to see the whole picture, she says. You just have to keep looking at the pieces and surrender to the knowing that your journey is perfect. You have everything you need and you are worthy just as you are. To learn more about Kim Adele's work, visit her at www.kimadel.org or follow her on Instagram at kimadele10. You can also find her on LinkedIn, Kim Adele Platts. I reached Kim Adele at her home in the UK. Well, hello, Kim Adele. Thank you for being here. Hi, Lorna. Thank you so much for having me. You're most welcome. It's it's a sunny Friday morning here in Toronto, but I know it's already a Friday afternoon where you are in the UK. What kind of day is it there? Uh, Yeah, it's been a a bit of a mixed day. So we started off with rain and I was um, just looking out the window now and we've got the most amazingly unusual sky. So there's this really heavy grey clouds, but in the middle of them, there's these like shots of pure blue um, sky it's it's really surreal you almost like feel the need to go and take a picture or paint something um, because it's so unusual 
Absolutely. That does. That sounds, that sounds really beautiful. You should go take a picture. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it still looks like that when we're finished talking. <laughs> um, well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation and, uh, you know, just for the benefit of our listeners, we don't actually know each other very well. In fact, we've only spoken one other time prior to today <laughs> on That's a, right. <laughs> a, a Zoom call about two weeks ago. Uh, but I must say, for me, you have become really a fast friend. I felt uh, that we just clicked through our conversation. Oh. And one of the reasons I believe that happened is because of how generously you shared your story. Uh, I really loved how, well, I love how on LinkedIn and your profile, you say you've lived a colorful life apprenticeship. And <laughs> that is so true. You have had some really powerful life experiences and I benefited so much from hearing them. And that's the thing with stories, right? It's when, when we share our stories openly and honestly and vulnerably, uh, share our own life experience, we're really serving other people. And I really believe in the power of sharing our stories to serve others. It's the reason I started this podcast. And so I'm really grateful you agreed to come on uh, so your story can be shared with a, a larger audience and other women can reap the benefit. Oh, bless you. You're, all, you're so generous as always. And likewise, you know, I, of our first conversation, it was like we'd known each other for such a long time um, yeah. and had become good friends. And it, it was so kind of you to then say, well, actually, could I share my story with others? Because we often get we get a little bit concerned, don't we? That is sharing our story actually going to be of any help? Or is anybody mm -hmm. even going to be interested? <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think when you live it yourself, you kind of just think, well, if I think my life's really ordinary and very boring, and then when I share it with people, they're like, wow, you've been through quite a lot. I'm like, really? Do you think? I've not really thought of it like that. Cause I know, right? It's just my life. So it's like, you know, this is kind of how I assume everybody else is living. Um, but I, I suppose there is that element that says if you share your story and it helps just one person, then actually it's worth being vulnerable and sharing your story. I, I, that's perfectly put. I absolutely agree. And I, I think you've really eloquently articulated the reasons we can get hung up and, and avoid sharing our stories. And uh, I agree, if we can kind of take ourselves out of it and really just share it for the benefit of others, we sometimes get a different perspective on it, just like you said, and we definitely, it helps others on their journey. So. I think it's so cool that we're both here today and um, I'm looking forward to getting into your story because you definitely have had some very, uh, well, I call them powerful, uh, you know, very colorful for sure life experiences. And, you know, you and I connected actually through your work as a leadership coach, you coach C-suite and board leaders. Uh, and you have this emphasis on legacy, helping leaders leave a legacy that matters, which I just love. I think that, I think fostering, uh, legacy as part of leadership direction is is just amazing. And a big piece of, of your work is helping people connect to their purpose. And I see from my vantage point, your work is, as a coach, is really all about connection. And you said something to me in our first conversation, which stuck with me. You said that I understand what it feels like to be disconnected. So before we dive into your work, I would like to talk a little bit more about your colorful life apprenticeship and the experiences you've had, which have led you to where you are today. So 
could we kind of go back a bit to the beginning and, and could you describe to me maybe what you were, what you meant when you said uh, that you understand what it feels like to be disconnected? Yeah, of, of course. And I guess what I was meaning was, you know, I spent probably about 30 years um, building my career from hairdresser to corporate leader. I ended up being in the boards of the FTSE 250 over here in the UK. And yet all the time I had this little voice inside that kept saying to me, they're going to find you out, love. You know, at some mm. point they're going to turn around and go, heavens, we've put the hairdresser on the board. It's a bit awkward. Get her <laughs> off. And obviously it didn't happen. But you had that you had that feeling all along that you were perhaps an imposter, that you shouldn't be there, that I didn't I didn't have what I was supposed to have. I didn't have the university schooling. I didn't have the degrees and I didn't have the the background that I was supposed to have to achieve what I'd achieved. Um, and that feeling of being a fraud was my constant companion. And you you ended up having these, the most bizarre things would happen because you would have to go into work every day because if you didn't go in, you would definitely be found out. But if you went in, you might be found out. So you'd be in the, having these conversations with people and in your head, you'd be going, you really shouldn't be here. You're really not enough. They're, you know, they're, they're not going to know what's hit them when they realise what it is that they've got. And all the time, while you're having those self-doubting conversations, you're also desperately trying to make sure none of it comes out of your mouth. Um, and so that actually, you're still stood there and delivering what's expected of you as that leader. You know, sat in a boardroom, you don't want to be turning around and going, by the way, I'm a hairdresser. <laughs> if you want me to leave now, I can. Um, so you're having these kind of two debates constantly. And there was that feeling, therefore, that you weren't fully connected with where you were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And we hang on to those things from our past. And actually, since I was chatting to, to you uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend. And I, I shared something that I've not shared before, which was I spent all of these years talking about talking to myself about the fact that I was just a hairdresser. I wasn't bright enough, that I shouldn't be there, that I wasn't clever enough. And yet when I was 18, I was really concerned that I wasn't bright enough, that I wasn't clever enough. Um, and therefore, I actually took part in a competition it was one of these random things that you do but as a result of it I got a certificate from Mensa Um, (laughs) and I've had that for the same period of time that I've had the self-doubt that I'm not bright enough and yet I chose not even to acknowledge it to myself because it didn't play to my story my story was I wasn't enough and I was quite without realizing it I was quite happy in that story I quite liked it it was comfortable it it was something that I knew um, and therefore, anything that didn't lend itself to my story, I almost ignored, including said certificate. My friend was like, you need to get the certificate out and frame it. <laughs> I yes. can't believe you've hidden that for so many years. But it, it made me realise just how often we get in our own way. and We sabotage ourselves because there is proof that maybe what we're telling ourselves, the story that we've created, there will be proof that that might not be the whole story. And yet we yeah. don't look for it and we don't acknowledge it because we're so caught up in the story and, and what that means for us. Oh, wow. I love what you just said, Kim, about, um, you know, the Mensa certificate didn't, quote unquote, play to your story. Because um, yeah. I believe we, we talked about this, too, on our call about we get what we focus on. Right. And, and yeah. our story, I believe, is really built on the beliefs that are well, that we come into this world with and that we 
pick up along our journeys a lot of the time in our in our little lives and then we build a story around who we are and what we're capable of based on those beliefs that are often limited like some of our beliefs work for us but often we each of us has beliefs that aren't working for us and then when we assign our focus to that we miss like our vantage point becomes so narrow we miss so much i I love how you just, I think you illustrated that so well with this, you've got a mental yeah. certificate. <laughs> I mean, it's ludicrous really, isn't it? I'm embarrassed to share, to share that I managed to keep it from myself for so long, but because I think sometimes when you, and I guess I've been on quite a journey in the last few years to, to fix myself, to, to mm. kind of go back and, and uncover the bits of me that, that weren't working. And, and, and you know, as we, as we chatted, when I had my little girl, that was my, she became my North Star, but also she was my biggest lesson in mm. leadership and in life. Um, and I remember going to write a letter to her. So I had an, had an illness and I wasn't certain I was going to survive. So I went to write the letter that if I didn't make it, how do I sum up everything that I would like her to know and to, and to learn and, and to guide her what were the lessons that I would like to have known much younger than I learned them for myself mm-hmm. and I mean where do you even start with a letter like that I was mm-hmm. I, I didn't know where I didn't know where to start so I remember going upstairs to her room and looking in on her and she was about nine months old and she was laid in a in a little cot teddy under her arm <laughs> snoring away dreaming about her day and whilst I was looking at her something suddenly hit me, um, which was the voice we talk to ourselves becomes the voice we teach our children to talk Mm. to themselves. Yes. And it was like the world stopped, although I'm sure it was probably just my heart. Mm -hmm. I remember in that moment thinking, if I survive, I will do everything that I can to do the work, to change the voice I talk to myself with, because it's not good enough to just say to her, don't do what I do, because kids don't learn by what we say, they learn by what we do. They learn by what we observe. And we think that we hold these things in and people don't see them. But we leak all of the time. We leak in the language we use. We leak in uh, in our body language. We, we leak in the things that we do. Uh, and therefore, it, that was my commitment. And as a result of that, I've spent the last almost three years going back and understanding what what were the beliefs that were defining my story, defining my life, and was there any evidence that there was an alternative to that view? As an example, you know, hairdressing MVQ, I carried it everywhere with me. I'd got a men's certificate. It was in a cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even being looked at. Um, but I mean, that's, a, that's an example. But there was hundreds and hundreds of examples when I went back and picked through my life to say, you know, what, what had happened and what had I made it mean to me? And what was, the, what was that meaning giving me because it gives you something you know it makes you right or it makes the other person wrong or you know there's always a there's always a payment but the piece that I'd not done was what's it costing me what is it stopping me from mm-hmm. doing um and once you once you've done that you were able to get into those parts that go well actually now I can change the belief because some of them weren't true they just they just weren't true um which is difficult to say when you've lived by them for, you know, in some cases I've lived by them for like 46 years. Yes. <laughs> that 
I made them my own. So letting go of them was was hard. However, so worthwhile. And the the sense of relief that you get when you realise that actually you can change. I think it's C.S. Lewis that says you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Uh-huh. And I think that's such an um, really sums it up for me. Yeah, I guess. that's beautiful. Well, and I imagine that that process of undoing some of those beliefs that weren't serving you began when you transitioned from hair, the hair salon into the boardroom. It, could you tell us a little bit about what that transition looked like for you? As a listener, maybe they're like, how did she do that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So so it was it, it was kind of a bit of an odd one. So I, I only wanted to be a hairdresser. When I was 19, I set my own business up. Um, and I thought my life was complete. You know, I was, um, I was running my own business. I was doing hairdressing. It's like I was pretty much rocking at life, in my opinion. Um, and then when I got to twenty-two, I became severely ill. So I lost the feeling in my hands and legs, and it took a while for them to work out what it was. But it turned out that I was allergic to perm lotion, mm. which in the nineties was a bit of an issue. <laughs> Perms were quite popular Um, and I wasn't even allowed to be there when anybody else uh, permed. So I ended up having to sell the salon, which I'delighted to say I sold to a girl that worked for me and she still runs it today. In fact, my niece goes there to get a haircut. So that's bad. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, And I got a 16 hour a week temporary contract at a local bank as a cashier while I worked out what on earth do I do now? Because my whole career plan had had been hairdressing. Um, And then you know, life gives you plot twists. It's given me a few. So my first plot twist after the giving up hairdressing was unfortunately my first marriage failed and I needed the role. So the temporary role became permanent. And then I quickly, I felt very behind because I was now in my twenties and I was back at the start. I was starting out. And so anything that came along, any opportunity that came up, I would be there going, well, how hard is it? I'll give it a go. <laughs> Let's see what can happen. So as a result of that, I kind of moved from cashier to receptionist, receptionist to salesperson, um, salesperson to, to mortgage advisor. And then I found myself as the manager uh, of one of the branches within just a couple of years, which I was extremely grateful for. And then I started to transition around financial services. So I moved from one bank to another. I worked across the majority of the, of the uh, largest banks in the in the UK, and literally just kept pushing myself to go. How hard can it be? I'll give it a go, <laughs> all the time with a little voice on the inside saying, "Somebody's going to stop mm. you. <laughs> Somebody's going to work out that you don't know what you're mm. doing, <laughs> and you are just blagging your way through." But actually, when I look at it now, what I did was not let the fear stop me. So I would. I would go in and because I knew I didn't really know what I was doing, I would work extra hard. I'd read everything that anybody could give me. I would learn how to take things apart, to make the, to see how they worked, to put them together again. Hmm. Um, and that kind of, you know, I, I kind of moved. I was very fortunate. I got my first um, board, I got my first director role at 30, my first board role in my mid thirties. Um, but I couldn't see what I was doing. I couldn't see that I was being successful. I was too busy working out what I wasn't good enough at yeah. yet. Um, and I remember being at, um, when I was working for Sage, I was, I was there, UK head of sales. And 
I, my boss at the time, I remember turning around to me and saying, I have never met anybody who beats themselves up as often or as harshly as mm. you do. And if it weren't so tragic, it would be a key skill. Oh. I mean, that's quite the feedback. Yes. Isn't it? Wow. <laughs> and you're kind of there going, right, how, how am I leaking this badly that they can see that I, that I beat myself up? And he got me a coach. I'm so grateful to him. He got me a coach. And I remember this coach coming to, to sit with me for the first time. And he said, uh, you know, how are you feeling, Kim? And I said, well, I'm rubbish at my job, to be fair. It's <laughs> probably why they're giving me you. And he was like, right, why, why do you think that you're rubbish at your job? And I went, well, I can't give you any exact examples. It's just a feeling I get. It's just, you know, it just feels like I'm not. And he went, okay, is there any evidence that you might be good at your job? And I was like, no, not that I can think of. Um, <laughs> just, just not that good at it. And he was like, right, would you mind, could I share with you some facts? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. That sounds like a good place to start. He said, right, fact number one, you've got the fourth consecutive quarter of double digit growth. And I went, yeah, that's true. He said, right, you've got the most engaged team in the entire global organization. And I went, yeah, that's, that's true. He went, you've just been given leader of the year. Mm. I was like, it's a fair point. Mm. <laughs> he said, on these, on these facts, he said, do you still think you're not very good at your job? <laughs> I was like, well, it sounds ridiculous. I appreciate, but I still don't feel like I, I'm good at what I'm doing. And I don't know what it's going to take for me to feel good at what I'm doing. And he asked me to go and do an exercise where I had to go and ask people that I knew and trusted, whether that was colleagues or friends or family, what do they think I'm good at? What do they, uh, you know, what strength in me do they uh, admire? And where do they think I get in my own way? And, and I'd recommend you doing it. It's an eye-opening experience. And, and I get my clients to do it all the time now. But what came back from people almost unanimously was brave and fearless. Mm. And I was like, right, I don't get it. I really don't understand. You're going to have to explain it to me because I don't understand where you're getting brave and fearless from. And they turn around. They're like, Kim, you will literally up sticks and move to somewhere you don't know anybody to do a job you don't know how to do, or you're not certain you know how to do. That's brave and fearless. And I was like, really? I thought it was flighty and a little bit stupid. <laughs> but I wondered, you know, back to the labels that we, yeah. that we like to use and whether or not they're serving us. I'd spent my life on flighty and a little bit stupid. They had observed the same life as brave and fearless. And so I thought about it. I was like, I wonder what my life would be like if I borrowed their mm -hmm. words. So what if I decided that from now on I was going to be brave and I was going to be fearless? Because it wouldn't really change anything. It wouldn't mean that I wouldn't still have those moments of doubt, those moments of fear, because I'd been having those all along. But outwardly, I'd been projecting brave and fearless. Yes. <laughs> um, but it did change how I started to view myself because I was able to start to acknowledge some of the things I had achieved. And... You know, one of the other things I think we chatted about it before, Lorna, was how difficult we can find it to accept things, to receive mm -hmm. compliments or to receive anything. So I, I have a good friend, Caroline, who calls it the Primark brush off. And apologies, that might not resonate in, in Canada, but uh, in the UK, Primark is a, is a kind of very cheap shop that uh, we always call it Primarni. It tries to do designer stuff, but for like a couple of pounds. Oh, okay. um, 
and her, her kind of view of it is you know, somebody gives you this amazing compliment and you like or says that like, you look great in that and you go this oh it's just a fiver from Primark. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, it's almost like you can't accept it you yeah. can't acknowledge that the gift that they've given you and, and when people give you feedback it really is a gift and it, it what we need to do sometimes inadvertently we take that gift and we drop it on the floor because we're too embarrassed to acknowledge it and I hadn't realized that inadvertently I was making my opinion more important than other people's so let me try and explain that because that's not very articulate as always um so people had given me amazing feedback that you know even down to an amazing guy called Paul Stobart who was the gentleman who gave me leader of the year and he'd delivered this amazing speech about all the things that I'd done to earn it. But because I didn't think I deserved it, because I thought I was hopeless, um, I'd managed to ignore all of that lovely feedback. And instead of accepting that his opinion, which I value greatly, but still do, we're, we're, we're still good friends. Um, instead of accepting his opinion from the guy I aspire to be like, I instead assumed my opinion that I was rubbish was the right one. It was the most valid. Right. And then you can look at it and go, how dare I? Because I don't think my opinion's more valid than his. <laughs> his opinion is greatly more valid than mine. And yet when it came to me, I allowed my own opinion to take over. And I realised in, in kind of looking back at, at this, that one of the greatest gifts that we can give somebody is to lend them our belief in them until they can find their own yes because in doing so you give them the power to face their fear safe in the knowledge that you believe in them because the question I always ask myself and my clients now is is the person that's giving you the opportunity somebody that you trust and admire and if the answer is yes take the chance Mm -hmm. because the fact that they're giving it to you means they believe in you so borrow that belief And then go make it happen. And it, I promise it works. I love, I love that. The, the borrowing of belief. I can definitely relate to that in my own life. I know when I launched my first online business, I had zero belief in my ability to do it because <laughs> I had no evidence, right? I, I was still, my mindset at the time was like, you know, I judged what was possible based on the current conditions in my life, right? I, I understood yeah. my reality only based on what had currently what was currently showing up. I didn't understand uh, that we actually have the ability to create our own realities and we can use our imagination and our other higher faculties to really design the life we want, create the life we want. But at the time there was a woman that I, as you so aptly described, like the, the gentleman at work, I, I admired her, I respected her. And although I didn't believe in myself, I believed in her belief in me. And that was enough to get me going until I could, you know, start to build that belief within myself. It's such an amazing gift, isn't it? When, and you remember those people for life, don't you? And, and I think, you know, now, now I get the beauty of being able to share my belief in others to help them do the same thing. Because I think as well as, as well as paying it forward, and I'm a big believer that we should always pay it forward. I do think sometimes we have to take a moment to pay it back as mm-hmm. well, to acknowledge the people that paid it forward for us, that allowed us to learn those things and to therefore be able to help others to learn them too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, something you said, Kim, when you were describing um, 
just talking about your transition uh, from the hair salon into the bank, and you were you said that uh, you know you didn't believe that you had the skills to do the job, and as a result of that belief, yeah. you just you just um, surrounded yourself with learning. You immersed yourself, like you had a drive to learn and just to work hard. And as I'm listening to you describe that, it sounds to me like that was your strategy to help initially counter that imposter syndrome was just to really push and work hard. Do I, did I hear that right? Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It was like the more I could read, the more I could learn, uh, the more chance I'd got of not being found out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I hadn't realized it at the time uh, from a conscious point of view, but looking back now, I can see it was absolutely, it was my conscious strategy, which was I needed to read everything. I needed to understand how things worked. And I quickly became the go-to person for the most obscure processes in the bank. Right. <laughs> that were like, you know, um, everyone else used to have to get the manual out. We had this ludicrously large manual. Um, and they'd have to get the manual out and go through it step by step. But because I'd read it so many times and took it home and read it, actually, I knew how to do them from memory because I'd spent so long um, wanting to ensure that there wasn't ever any time where I could go, I don't, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I said I don't know in my head so many times. Um, so I think for me, that that was my that was my lesson. But it, it has it's driven a lifelong desire to learn more. And I think. One, one of my big lessons in, in life was that my vulnerability was actually my superpower. So for years, I thought the fact that I was a hairdresser um, and that I only had an MVQ in hairdressing was my vulnerability. It was the thing that held me back. And then I realized that actually is what propelled me forward. Because as a, as a hairdresser, the thing that they taught you was to really listen to people to listen to understand what was important to them, why it was important to them, what they were looking for, what they wanted to achieve. Because in doing so, you were able to create a memory for them. And that's what made people come back. We know what it's like when we go to the hairdressers. I love going to my hairdressers now um, because you come out feeling the best version of you. And you've had a, you know, you've had a good chat. I always think it's a bit um, of a counselling session um, <laughs> because they, you end up, you end up telling um, telling them things you probably wouldn't tell anybody else um and I realized you know, for years I used to joke that I'd got hairdresser face because people would literally tell me anything um and and I didn't realize that it wasn't because I had hairdresser faces because I genuinely care I'm genuinely interested and it's what made me a good leader because people would come and tell me what was going wrong yeah. and the other thing I think that that it helped me with was you can literally talk to anybody, which doesn't feel like much of a skill until you see the people that can't. So, you know, I've been the, in the canteen of one of the organisations. So I was, you know, I was on the board and you, you stood there, you see the other board members and they could only talk to each other. And um, so if they were in the canteen, they'd come in a little flock and they'd talk to each other and then they'd go again. <laughs> Whereas I'd be there and I'd, I'd like chat to the person in front of me, even if it was inane stuff like, oh, you're going for sausages. I thought I'd be good this morning. I was going to go muesli, but now I'm thinking, you know. Um, but because you chat to them about anything, they would come and tell you what was going wrong in the organisation. They'd come and tell you about the little nuances that we'd forgotten mm. and therefore you could fix yeah. them because they knew you cared because you'd created a relationship. You'd created a, a two-way dialogue, even if it was over something as mundane as breakfast. Yes. Um, it's, it's amazing how 
quickly that can change a culture. Um, and I think for me that there's these little, little lessons that we learn throughout life. And I remember, I think we might have chatted about it. I remember doing a keynote speech um, just before lockdown and standing there and looking out, out at this room, sea of faces, just suddenly going, what on earth are you going to do? Um, and in that moment, I had total and utter self-doubt and I, I just wanted to run away. And I realised I couldn't. So I actually shared it with the audience. I said, do you know what, right about now, every fibre of my body is telling me to get off this stage and run as fast as my legs will carry oh. me. And I can't do it for a couple of reasons. The first, I don't think I could run very fast in these shoes. <laughs> the second, <laughs> I would never come back from it. You know, you're all I'm plastered all over the literature. So you will always remember that it was Kim Adele Platts that ran away. Right. <laughs> so I, I can't do that. But what I can do is give myself permission to share with you that that's how I'm feeling. And in doing so, hope that I can shut the little voice up long enough to enable me to get on with what I'm here to talk to you about. Oh. And then I got on with the rest of my speech. That is and I had that many people queue up at the end because um, they were like, when you stood there, bright red dress, big smile, bright red lipstick, we thought this woman clearly has nothing bother her ever. Mm. She's dead confident. And they said, and yet when you shared that you wanted to run away, every single one of us knew you meant it. Yeah. Um, and we were like, if she can stand up there and tell us that and carry on and do what was apparently a great speech, then maybe we can do the thing we're fearful of too. Yes. The power of just being open and, and vulnerable and honest about our, our feelings and our experience, right? That's a perfect example. Um, I, I love how what you just described. So I, because I absolutely believe each of our journeys is perfect, right? Uh, we are exactly where we're meant to be at any given time. And I think it's so interesting how, you know, each experience we have in our life, it, I believe, is, is perfectly equipping us or giving us exactly what we need in order to be successful at the next thing and, and stand where we are. So you're talking about how these, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily think that the things you're learning in the realm as a hairdresser are going to help you in, you know, the boardroom or uh, in the C-suite or as a leadership yeah. coach, but you've just so eloquently described exactly how they do. And I think, you know, the focus of this podcast is sharing the stories of women who are following our inspiration, because I'm fascinated with how different that journey can look, but how there are these common, I should say, how different that journey can look for each, each of us, but that there are these common, often common themes or common insights. And that's definitely one of them that all, those of us who had, who have had very varied experiences in our life, when we're looking back now, we can really, and when we're connecting with our purpose, we can really appreciate like, oh, if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. Or I wouldn't be as good at it. I wouldn't be able to be where I am. No, absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, I'm a big believer that everything in life is either a lesson, a blessing or both. Right. And even though at the time it might not feel like it, and you know, don't get me wrong, I, I've, I've had those moments, those I remember in one particularly melodramatic moment of mine, I got to the point, I was that sad, I was that upset, I was that broken, that I was like, I don't even know how to breathe. Mm. I mean, that really is melodramatic, because clearly I knew how to breathe. <laughs> and I carried on breathing, but I, I was so lost for knowing what to do and, and how to move out of that situation. And I think, you know, we, we look at our lives, don't we? And we, we could say, you know, you look at mine and you could go, well, hairdresser to CEO, that's been, you know, 
that's been an amazing journey absolutely has it must be must be great for her things to go so to things to go so well but then equally you know I, I could look at it and go if I were to write my memoirs it would be three divorces and a stalker the journey from hairdresser to CEO can be bumpy mm. so just as much as things have gone well there have been things that haven't gone so well I've had three life potentially life-threatening illnesses and sadly a miscarriage as well and th there was but then I've been blessed with an amazing career a beautiful daughter the most fantastic friends and family I get to meet amazing people like you all of the time and and I think I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do any of those if I'd not had my life apprenticeship that I've had so yeah. far and that I continue to have because life does throw you a plot twist but it's it's in what we do with those isn't it it's, it's in how we embrace them and it can be hard to embrace them at the time but they always make us stronger and that is the worst thing to hear when you're going through it you know you're going through it and you're feeling weak <laughs> somebody says it's going to make you stronger and you really would just like to punch that person I don't know shove something in their little mouth yeah. so that they can't talk to you because <laughs> I just don't want to hear yeah. that um but the reality is once we get through the other side you kind of realize how far you've come you realize what just what you're capable of and and I think you know life is giving us the strength and it's testing us to show us how much stronger we are and it doesn't feel like that at the time and I know that I know how devastating it can feel at the time but then when you come out the other side you realize how much you've grown how much you've learned how, how much you've developed and actually how much you can then share to help somebody else that's back where you were mm -hmm. and that doesn't feel that they're going to be able to get mm -hmm. through because I promise you will yeah. and you won't even know you've done it mm -hmm. <laughs> because I think sometimes one of the challenges is we look for the whole answer once I can see, you know, so like, once I can see the whole picture, I can do the jigsaw. Right. Well, life's like one of those jigsaws that you buy at a jumbo sale that doesn't have the box. So you don't have the picture. You've just got to keep looking at the pieces and working out which ones fit together. And if you keep doing that, eventually the picture comes into play and you will suddenly realize that it, all of it is part of one beautiful landscape that is our life. And for me, once I got comfortable with surrendering to the fact that I don't know what the picture is, I don't know where the next plot twist is going to take me, but wherever it takes me, I know I'm going to be ready for it and I'm going to learn. Um, it's just become such a much more joyous way of living yeah. um, because you're not afraid of it now. Even when something goes wrong, which trust me, happens still <laughs> regularly, it's that piece that's going, thank you, because whatever this is, it's going to prepare me for what good is coming next definitely because for every time something you know oh sorry it's not been great has come along something amazing has come afterwards yes well and that's one of the things that stands out about you to me Kim Adele is your ability to see the joy in the journey right whatever the journey is even though it doesn't feel awesome all the time yeah. but to really that perspective uh is very powerful and uh it's, you know, obvious when, when you're talking about the different events in your life and the things that you've achieved, how well that perspective works for you. And, and one of the other things about you and your story that stands out to me is your ability to use what I would call visualization to your, to your benefit. Mm -hmm. or, or, I, and I don't know if that was the word you would use, but I'll explain what I mean. 
um, like that ability to focus on what we want, the outcome we want, the goal, the result, whatever it is, the picture. Um, at, I've learned that, you know, all of us are using visualization in our lives, but most of us are using it like unconsciously or unintentionally. And, you know, when we're not being deliberate about it, what we're choosing to focus on and really visualize and marinate in, if we're not deliberate about it, we can end up using it against ourselves, right? Feeding an imposter syndrome as an example versus, Absolutely. Yeah, versus using it to uh, fill ourselves up and feed ourselves. But, you know, as you've described, there've been several tough moments in your life. You know, you've, um, you've, you've experienced the breakdown of, of marriage, you've experienced uh, miscarriage, you've experienced um, several serious health problems. And I guess what I see in your story is that you've throughout all this have managed to really stay focused on your goals and what you want to come of a situation and then bring that to fruition. If that resonates with you, could you talk a little bit more about that and how you've done that? Yeah, no, com it completely resonates. And, you know, just about every great person, every great achiever in life, they've, they've disagreed on lots of things, but the one thing that they have agreed on unanimously is we become what we think mm -hmm. about. Um, and all too often we think about what we don't want or we think about what we need before we're going to get started. You know, when I've got the, when I've got more money, when I've got more time, when I've got more energy, when I've got more, when I've got. And, and actually, we're wishing our lives away because instead, if we focus on what it is we want. And my most powerful example of this for me personally was uh, exactly two years ago this week. I thought I'd got a cold. Everyone at work was telling me I was really, really ill. And I was like, don't be so ridiculous. I'm just I'm just in my 40s. I'm a single mum. I've got a big job. And actually, you know, life just takes a little bit longer. It's just a cold. I'm not that weak. Um, so it was really embarrassing when I ended up in intensive care with double lung pneumonia. Oh um, because I had to ring them up and go, you know the, you know the little cold I had? <laughs> I'm intensive care. Um, and they were like, right, not such a sniffle then. Um, and I remember saying to the to the doctor, it was a Sunday night, and I said to him, what do I need to do to get out of here? And he was like, madam, you don't understand. We're not sure you're going to make it out of here. Well, this is how ridiculous it was. I'd left my, my, my little girl with my neighbour because we were in the middle of having Sunday lunch when actually they told me I needed to go to, um, they were going to send an ambulance. I was like, don't send an ambulance. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> I'll get myself to a and &E. This is all going to be melodrama. Knowing you, Kim Adele, you're um, like, I'll walk there. I'll be fine. Yes, I, well, to be fair, this is how awful it was. At the point I was on the phone to, um, to the doctors, I was carrying a dining room chair across to my neighbours because she just had a new table and the chairs hadn't come and we were going to have Sunday lunch. So I, this is how ridiculous the whole story was. I'm carrying a dining room chair with the phone under my ear while I'm saying to them, no, don't send an ambulance. I've not had a heart attack. It's absolutely fine. I think I just need an inhaler oh. because I'm asthmatic. So anyway, I left my little girl there, went to, went to A&E next minute, half an hour, within half an hour, I was in um, intensive care, strapped up to every machine. And I was like, no, you need to take some of these off because I need to sort out my little girl. It's like, you know, I can't leave her at my neighbours. I needed to get her sorted. And I was saying to the specialist, what do I need to do? He was like, madam, we're not certain you are getting out of here. And I remember looking at him and saying, no, you don't understand. I am getting out of here and you are going to let me. You just need to tell me what it is that I need to do and I will do it because my little girl is not quite two and she's never done more than one night without mummy. So she'll be scared. So I will get out. And that was the Sunday. And on the Wednesday morning, he discharged me. 
And he said, he came to the bed and he was like, he said, I don't understand how you got your body. So I've seen the x-rays, how you got your body to go from where they were on Sunday to where they were today. And I said to him, it was really, really easy. The only thing I thought about, the only thing I pictured, the only thing that I spent any time on was my little girl's face when it was mummy that picked her up from nursery. Mm. It's the only thing I focused on for the three days. And this afternoon, I will be the one that picks her up from nursery. Mm. Um, And he was like, wow. And I was like, yeah, I hadn't realized it at the time, the power of visualization. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And it's only been in the last few few months where I've really started to look into it and understand it a little bit more. And now I can see that there are some really powerful examples in my own experience of when I visualized things and made them happen, um, both positive and negative. You know, I, I remember um, now you know, in, in my second marriage, always being worried that he was going to leave, that he was going to cheat. And eventually he left and he cheated. Mm. <laughs> and I now realise that I have a part to play in that because actually I visualised that throughout the marriage. I, yeah, there was something in there, there was a concern, but actually we bring into our lives not only what we want, but what we don't yeah. want because we inadvertently are thinking about it. And I guess that's why, it's a little bit why, obviously why I focus on legacy. Every single one of us is leaving a legacy every single minute but we're not doing it consciously so in every conversation that we have in every interaction that we have in every um in everything that we do we are leaving behind a legacy of how people are viewing us what they're going to think about us what they're going to remember so when we start to think about that and make it conscious so i try really hard to go in everything i do i try and leave it better than i found it i try and make sure that there was at least some value in that person having spent some time with me or having listened to me witter on (laughs) about my journey. Um, Because hopefully if there's that one nugget in there, then my legacy is still working, which is to leave things better than I found them. I I find that so interesting, Kim. Like, Kim Adele, you've basically been, what you basically said is, you've been an unconscious competent in the, in the realm of visualization, right? And, and understanding how the use of thought, energy, and focus. Yep. You're right, right? We get what we focus on, whether we want what we focus on or not. We don't get what we want. We get what we focus on. And uh, you've been an unconscious competent. And then, uh, you know, then you, you, you've been in the process of becoming a conscious competent. And, you know, I can absolutely see how in your coaching practice, you're able to bring the benefit of all of your life experience in addition to all of your training and now this conscious competence that you've developed to uh, help your clients. And I'd love to just shift into your practice and talk about it in more depth because you, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you shared another Mm. stat that has stayed with me. You talked about how, I think you said it was 69% of senior leaders, C-suite leaders, find leading right now to be the hardest time in their career. And so clearly, you know, what you're offering right now is much, much needed in this, you know, new environment or new reality in which we find ourselves. I'm referring to, to COVID, but could you talk about um, what you're, 
talk about the work that you do with your clients and what you're seeing right now, how you're seeing that stat play out. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a terrifying stat when I saw it. It was actually some LinkedIn research, and it went on to say that 52% of those leaders are doubting their ability to lead effectively, and that 41% are facing increased stress, anxiety, mm -hmm. and mental health challenges. And for me, what I've seen playing out either through clients or, or also just through um, my network is the amount of senior leaders that are actually now talking about stresses and anxieties that they've faced and how that's impacted them or is impacting them and I guess for me that's a, a lot of why people use somebody like me if you think about it if you are that c-suite leader where do you go because you can't share your you know if you're, if you're doubting or you're uncertain or you're finding it difficult you can't share it with the board because you're worried that they right. might lose faith in you you can't share it with your direct reports because they're looking to you for leadership and you either can't share it at home or if you do share it at home, then possibly not able to really support and assist you in, in getting a resolution. They're there to support and assist you as the, as the person, as, as the human being. And so what, what I find with my clients is what they want is that safe space to be able to debate what's going on, to be able to have some challenge to their thinking and to just be given that support. So to be almost there, there by their side when they're going through it. And I spent a lot of years devising a model. So I now use a model which I designed, mm. which is called the Convergent Sweet Spot. And it basically, it takes either the individual leader or the organization through the 15 pillars of which you need to be successful. So we start off on connecting to your purpose. So what is it that you're here to do? And Pablo Picasso, has an amazing quote which I love which is the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is oh, to give it away yeah. which I just adore so it's helping people to kind of find what is your gift what are you here for what's your purpose and, and how do we share that and once you know what your purpose is it's got to connect to your values because if your purpose and your values aren't aligned then not you're not going to achieve uh, what you're setting out to achieve so once you've understand your purpose you've integrated it to your values you can evolve to your full potential and these 15 pillars all work together and the point that we're all trying to get to is the exponential results the point where we're actually in flow that we're delivering what we're supposed to be delivering that we're achieving our goals but to do that we've got to be competent in all 15 and actually part of what I do is get people first to do a self-scoring matrix because what's most important is how you feel you're achieving in each of those boxes, right. not how anybody else feels, mm -hmm. because this is about your journey to you. So knowing where that is, you can then go through it and say, right, you know, some of these um, you're already doing brilliantly at. So that's great. So we don't need to focus on those because you're doing really well at them. Where are the ones where you're feeling that you're lacking? And then how do we help you get to those? Because on some of them, you'll feel that you're lacking. I've shared some of examples of mine where I felt I was lacking. And actually, when somebody shows you the evidence, like, okay, you're not lacking, you're just not seeing. Um, so maybe I don't need to, maybe I don't need to work on that. And I see the same with some of my clients, which is they're focusing on, th they're focusing on trying to fix things that they're already brilliant at. They just can't see it. So it's getting them to, to align with, just how they really are showing up in the world and being on, on side to, to help and support. And I think one of the things that makes me unique in, in what I do is 
most coaches, not all, but most coaches right. haven't done the role themselves. Um, because often coaches have come through um, a learning and development background or, or something else. Um, whereas I've actually done those C-suite roles. I've been in the boards. I'm still on the boards of a few, to be fair. Um, so I know what it's like to be under that scrutiny, to be under that pressure, but also to understand working in a highly regulated environment, to have the press um, looking at you, the regulators looking at you, your colleagues, your clients, your, your competitors, you know, they say it's lonely yeah. at the top. It's certainly not quiet. Um, and I think that for me is the, the service I provide is to give people that space to be able to reflect, to really redefine what's important, to be able to make the decisions that they know they need to make mm -hmm. and then take action at pace. And we're social animals, so we need to be socially connected. And I think that's where coaching really comes to its own is that you find that person to be on call to be on hand with you so that you feel connected even when you're out there alone having to make those tough calls making those tough decisions and what we're seeing right now from all of the research is now yeah. more than ever that's what people need um, and it permeates across an organization you know if people are feeling like that at the mm -hmm. top I promise you they're feeling like that throughout and we know that the you know the things that we're talking about now is mental well-being mental fitness of our people but that starts at the top and you know companies have spent billions uh, putting in amazing employee assistance programs that do some fantastic work but the challenge is you know right. that they only work when you ask for the help they're seen perhaps a bit more as an ambulance rather than prevention and I question you know for, certainly for my clients how likely would they would a senior executive like c-suite or, or even below be to yeah. pick up the phone to an employee okay, assistance yeah. program they're just not going to do it so actually where do we get their help and for me that's what i'm passionate about doing because people need that support to realize that actually it is okay they're okay they've got exactly what it takes this is just their inner mm -hmm. stories taking over and we can change the story yes because we are the author of our own life and sometimes when the story is not the yeah, one absolutely. we want it's time well to i mean what i time. hear you describing in my words i i would say you're helping leaders achieve praxis right that that integration of their belief with their behavior yeah. so there's that perfect alignment and then as you as you described when you're uh, maybe isolated or largely isolated by virtue of your position. And when you're leading in challenging times, you've got that grounding in your purpose, that solid foundation from which you can then make those tough decisions, those tough calls and still feel okay about yourself. Absolutely, because you know you know that you're coming at it from, from a an honest position, something that's something that means something to you. And I think, you know, for me, I, I talk about the need to lead with kindness, humanity and courage. And the reason I use all of those is um, we do have to be kind and we have to, you know, we have to think about the people, but we do also have to be courageous. When you're leading in times of crisis, we have to make difficult decisions. I remember working for one organization and you know, sadly of my career, I've had to do this a number of times. We had to make redundancies and that's awful. It's a horrendous thing to you know to, to think of the impact you're having on your people. But 
you had to make those because the alternative, if I hadn't have made the redundancies, would have been that right. the whole organisation would have gone to the wall. And I believe as a leader, my job is to save as many jobs as I can. And in those situations, the reality is I can't save them all. But what I can do is save as many as possible. But then what happens is you're in that situation. And as a leader, you feel a little mm -hmm. bit guilty and a little bit ashamed that you didn't lead better. That as a result, these people are going to be impacted. And you also know that your message is not going to be well received because nobody really ever got excited about redundancy <laughs> and went, yay, me. Um, so, you know, it's not going to you know it's not going to go well. But I remember when I went in to do the first one, standing in front of these people and saying to them, I need, the first thing I need you to realize is this is not about you. And let me explain what I mean by that. This is happening to you. You are impacted as a result of it. The reason I say it's not about you is there was nothing you could have done differently. This is not because you're not a great person. You're not a fantastic worker. You didn't deliver outstanding results because you did all of those. This is because we could not lead you to a better conclusion. We couldn't navigate whatever was going on in the environment um, to not be in this position. And the reason I need you to know that is because if you don't, you will walk away from here feeling that you're not good enough, that you weren't wanted, that you weren't enough. They're going to be stories that feed into your future mm -hmm. and become your reality. And I can't have right. that happen because it's not true. So you have the absolute right to look in the eyes of the person that made the decision to make the redundancies. It's why I'm stood here because I made that decision. And I'm not saying it because I'm a because I'm a horrible woman who doesn't want you to like her. I'm saying it because you deserve the respect to be treated as the adult that you are. Um, and I turned up every week and, and sat with them and we went through every Friday, like, tell me how you're feeling. Like, let's talk through your stories and let's work through the facts because facts are your right. friends. Stories are going to hurt you. And the challenge that we've got is the way that the human brain works is in the absence of a fact, we create a story because our minds do not like gaps. So being able to constantly ask yourself, mm -hmm. is that a fact or is it a story? What's actually happening and what am I making it mean? is a great way of you being able to deconstruct some of those stories that you're telling yourself that aren't serving you. And I guess for me, that's, that's one of the key questions is what label am I using and is it serving me? So take where we are at the moment, for example, in COVID, I could say that I'm stuck at home mm -hmm. or I could say that I'm safe at home. It's only one word difference, but the impact on my psychology, on how I feel and on how I show up in the world is going to be significant and it might sound like a really simple change but often the biggest leaps the greatest results come from the tiniest little shift tony mm -hmm. robbins calls it the two millimeter yeah. shift and it's true we often think it's going to need yeah. to be something massive and it isn't um and you know i think you can take your inspiration from from anywhere and one of the things that really struck me my little girl is <laughs> a massive frozen fan um so we watch Frozen <laughs> on loop a lot. And uh, I remember it being uh, being in Frozen 2. It's saying, just take the next right step. So when you can't see how you're going to fix something, just look at what is the next right step you can take and take it because you'll be amazed how quickly yeah. a new step comes into sight. And before you oh, know it, you're out of the woods. I love that. And, and that concept of it, just get... The, but the, it's the really, it's the small shifts. It's the consistent, tiny incremental change that 
leads to the big results that get 1% better every day, right? You don't have to exponentially grow overnight. Yeah. Well, that's it. And also it's doable because if we make it too big, if we make it something that's, that's massive, we don't even know where to start. So you kind of, you end up then, it was a little bit like my revision diary when I, when I was a child. So, um, (laughs) my mum will kill me when she hears this, but I used to spend all this time coloring in the most beautiful revision diary. I didn't ever do any revision because I didn't know where to start. So I just kept coloring in the diary, planning it better. And then I never got anywhere with doing it because I was too busy planning for the unknown. Whereas actually what I do now is instead of going, well, I don't know how, you know, for example, I'm trying to learn Spanish. I don't know how to do Spanish at all. But it was like, what can I do? Well, what I could do is spend 10 minutes every day on yeah. an app doing a little bit of Spanish. Um, that's doable. Um, rather than thinking, oh, you know, my, my dream is to be fluent in it. Well, it is my dream. But actually, that's too big. I can't work out how to do that. But what I can work out how to do is commit 10 minutes every day to doing a little bit on the app. And actually already I've not been do- I've been doing it for, for a few weeks but already now I'm finding that actually in that 10 minutes I can do three lessons whereas to start off with it took me 10, right. 10 minutes to do half a lesson because I just couldn't it doesn't let you go through until you get it right and I'll be like oh god I'm gonna get through this uh, but it shows you how quickly you can actually you know start to get start to get better at something so the thing I you know the thing I would say to everybody is it's great to have that big picture but the best advice that you've got is dream the big dream yeah, and then take the small step because every step edges you closer to that dream. And before you know it, those steps accumulate at pace and the dream is, is in reach. That. I love that. Wow. Uh, Kim, I, Kim Adele, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Uh, you, I, you've just taken us on a journey. You're, we've all been able to come on this journey with you. And I know I'm the, all the better for it. And I'm sure our listeners are as well. I, I want to just share one reflection I had when you were describing your approach and your process for working with employees who were being downsized. Uh, I thought as I was listening to you, yeah. imagine, and I know you now coach leaders to help them navigate those types of situations in a similar manner. I was thinking, imagine how different it looks and how different the impact is on those folks who are affected in in layoffs and downsizing when leaders do what you've done and what you're now coaching others to do. Just the energy, even just listening to you describe it, the energy is completely different. So I can just feel through listening to you share that example, how powerful that is. And I know it's just one example of the type of work you're doing with leaders. So thank you so much for doing what you do. And I'd like to also ask how can people, what's the best way for people to connect with you if they wanna learn more about working with you? Oh, bless you. First, thank you so much for your kind um, feedback. Really, really appreciate it. You totally made my day. Thank you. Um, And if anybody would like to get in touch, there's a couple of ways. So um, I've got a website, which is www.kimadel.org. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn as Kimadel Platts. And I'm on most social media like Twitter and Instagram as Kimadel10. And I would be delighted to chat to anybody. And if I can help at all. Just get thank you. Thank you again for your time today. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. 
Well, that concludes the eighth episode of She Inspired. I hope you will agree, Kimadel Platz keeps it real and she keeps it interesting. I mean, what will this woman do next? I don't know, but I do know whatever it is, it will be spectacular. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will be back in a couple of days with another episode.